Y'all please take a seat. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. If it's your first time with us, welcome. If you've been coming for a long time, we are truly glad you're here. I'm excited to hang out with you guys today, and I want to start out with a question that I think many of us we could answer. Actually, probably not. Not too many of us. When was the last time you had the police called to come and investigate you? No? Nobody just wants to shout that out? A little quiet this morning? Mine was, I think, like 11 days ago. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Springs. 11 days ago. Here's the best part. I was with a bunch of pastors. Uh, but hey, all that to say, here, here's kind of what happened. The Springs here, we have this, this uh, 1,300 square foot office building. There's this office building over here. Some of the different things and the ministries we do during the week, trying to serve the members of the body, because we really do take serious. We just don't want to be about Sunday morning. We want to be about every day of the week. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at, hey, is there a ministry space during the week that we could meet at that's a little bigger? There's a friend of ours that's been coming here, hanging out, has an office facility that we, we've looked at renting. And we were hanging out with one time, and he said, oh, yeah, hey, here, here's the key. You guys go check it out. I'd have some friends that go and seen it, and they had this vision for how they were going to use the space because I was confused on what it would look like. So myself, one of the trustees, two of the trustees, and another pastor on staff, we got in a car late one night. It was a Monday. It was probably about, I don't know, 9.30. We got in there, and we drive to this office building. We show up. We get there. We step out. We have the key to the door. So you go, you unlock the door, and all of us are excited to just walk in. He'd just given us the key. He'd given us permission. We all had text message proof. You kind of see where this is going. We open the door, and immediately you hear the sound you don't want to hear. And it's not yet the alarm. The first thing you hear is that countdown clock, like of the alarm. It's 10 feet away. It's inside the facility. You start to hear the countdown, and all of a sudden your heart's like, oh, my gosh. Do you have a code? Do you have a code? Do you have a code? We're like calling him. Here's what turns out. He, like a good dad, was back home putting his boy in the bath, getting him ready for bed. So all of us are calling him. No one has a code. And all we hear is the countdown timer to win. Sirens. We're sitting here. It's late at night. And we just start laughing. They look at me and they say, this would happen with you. <laughs> I appreciate that reputation. But all that to say, though, is no. So we go, we're there, we're looking at the fire code or the alarm code, the box there. We're trying to put it out. We don't have the code. And all of the sudden, it's that high-pitched, wailing sound, alarm going off that's kind of ear-splitting. And immediately, you're inside this building. The lights are off. And you get the awareness of, we should probably turn the lights on. Right? We should probably turn the lights on because if we're like robbing the place, I haven't done this before, but I, I don't think they would turn the lights on. So I was like, oh, that's a good sign. We'll turn the lights on. So we go, we step outside. The alarm goes off for literally close to five minutes, nonstop, still calling, can't get them, still calling, can't get them, still calling, can't get them. We're all nervous. We're sitting there, and I'm like, guys, let's just go see the inside. The lights are on. If the cops come, he gave us the key. We're not going to get in trouble. That's my pastoral influence in this moment. I was in that moment able to lead two of the four, including myself, 
inside. So we go sirens blast and we come in. He says, here's what I would do. I think this wall you could move. We could put some spaces here. I think kids could go right in here. I think a women's ministry, you could do a teaching thing in here, a recovery section you could do in here. And we're looking at all this and we're just dreaming, sirens going off. But we know, hey, we got to do this quick, right? We got to do it quick. So we come out, we walk out, we see our friends at the door, walk towards it, step outside, say, okay, yeah. We saw it, guys. I got a picture. Y'all want to go in there and see it? And it was like, no. No, because we have no time. Each one of us are like looking up the street, just waiting for like blue and red lights flashing. We don't see any of that. Finally, we were able to get a hold of our friend. He answered the phone, and he was just like, oh, man, I'm so, so sorry. Here, here's the code. We walk in. Boop, 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 boop. Alarm goes off. Seems as if all is good in the land. So at that point, we begin to talk through, hey, you guys want to walk through now? So they say, yes. So I've already got experienced view and insight. So I say, here, let me lead you through. So we take them in. We go. We look in conference rooms. Again, children's and offices and women's ministry. We could do a recovery meeting here. Discipleship can take place. Bible says we could do all this stuff. We're just dreaming about what it would be. We walk through probably five minutes. Five minutes. I'm at the front of the line. We're heading towards the door because none of us want to hang out there that late on a Monday. We're headed towards the door. And literally, if, if the entranceway, if you imagine almost being down this aisle here, the entranceway is probably 10 feet that way, and there's a hallway that comes and connects. And I'm leading the group, and I come, and I turn, and I step to look up, and I see three police officers in what look like in some type of formation to breach through a door with the door open. <laughs> I'm not, this is all true. Each one of them, because you notice these things, each one of them, hands on the gun. Here's the distinction. There's a leather strap that keeps that gun in there, and there's a buckle. Buckle's undone. And I turn, and I just hear, sir, stop. And all of a sudden, I'm like, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> and literally, hands go up, and they say, walk forward. And you're not going to, like, disagree. Highly recommend you don't disagree. If you're an officer of the peace, we're so grateful for everything you do. So I start walking forward. The guy's behind me here, and I'm like, guys, cops are here. We start walking forward, right? We walk out of this facility. Each one of us like this, I can remember thinking, oh, I've got text message proof they invited us. And I walk out, and I start reaching for my phone. I'm like, oh, no, just kidding. Hands are right here. They come out. They get IDs. They were nothing but gracious, doing a great job. Here, here's what had happened, right? One... <laughs> It was an exciting moment. And we walk out and they start asking everything, okay, hey, names, can I get IDs, all this kind of stuff. The guy we'd called, the alarm company, they'd been set up to actually call his office manager. So they called the office manager and the oversight there of the property. And recently nearby there, there'd been vandalism, there'd been some destruction of property. So they got that and immediately thought, oh yeah, lights and sirens, man, let's go get them. So that's what they were coming to get. And as you walk out and you see these guys, man, they were ready. There was a sincere sense of, it's a little scary, meets. I mean, I was innocent and I'm with a bunch of pastors, so it's kind of funny. And I was like, sermon illustration, right? <laughs> but I start walking out, we get there, the office manager shows up, we start talking through, explaining the whole thing. Office manager's like, yeah, these guys are fine. Don't worry about it. We thank the officers that, man, we're so sorry to hassle you guys to have to come out here, right? The office manager's like, well, hey, would you guys like another tour? And I'm like, it'd be my third time. I'm fine. 
we can go home. We've got other stuff to do. Here's, here's the reason I kind of start with that story. Literally, I'll never forget. And this has happened to me twice, twice. But this time, I'll never forget the moment where you see a police officer walking towards you, looking for you, hand on hip, gun unholstered. Or maybe not out of the holster, whatever that's called, right? There's this moment of fear. Like there's this moment of, I'm doing what you say. Right, I didn't have the mind there, I'm gonna run. That's not gonna work out. Right, there's this real fear. There was fear that kept my friends. There was fear that kept them from coming in the facility before. There was a sense of being scared. Hey, that's good, don't trespass, don't break and enter. Right, don't do any of that stuff. But here's the reason I really have thought about that story recently. is because as I think through some of the areas of my life, there's a theme that comes up because there's something that I've wrestled with many times, and it's this. Fear. And more specifically, how am I called, not just with New Braunfels Police Department, but how am I called, how are we called, to fear the Lord? Fear the Lord. Is that the same sense as where God is almost this deity in the sky? Is this police officer waiting where depending on how you and I behave and act as followers of Jesus, he sits there gun on holster ready to send bolts of lightning in smite. Is that fear? Like when your Bible gives the commands repeatedly to fear the Lord. What does it mean? The reason I start with that is because today, we're going to learn, today, we're gonna talk about what it means to rightly fear the Lord. We're doing this as we continue in a series of ours called All I Should, All I Should Want for Christmas. This series really came out of just as I've been thinking through, as myself and other leaders have been thinking through, hey, Advent, this Christmas season, what are all the things that I honestly, I tend to focus on and want? They're not all bad, they're neutral, they're good things, but in reality, if I could shift my perspective, if I could shift my focus, what would be the things that for Christmas I should be asking for? The, the gifts I do want to increase and grow in my life, what are those values? Last week, if you were with us, we talked about humility. We talked about humility and the biblical reality of the way up for us is down. How humility is a right understanding of who God is and from that, how we follow him. And this week, we want to talk about something again I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking through. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Here's why I think this matters, and I'm going to move this out just a little bit. It's probably going to get a little louder. Here's what I think this matters so much. There have been seasons of my life, and I'll share a little bit of this in, a little bit later, seasons of my life where fear of the Lord felt to me like I'm scared, like God Almighty is this ticked off, authoritarian, erratic, inconsistent, mean parental figure that just couldn't wait to when you step out of line, knock you for it that he was far more concerned with what I do and what I don't do than really. And where's my love? Where's my heart for him? I don't think that's biblically true. 
And my plan is to show you that today. So if you're a follower of Christ, here's why I think this matters. God does want you, he does want me to rightly fear him. But so many of us are confused by that. I have been confused by that. So many of us think that means that God almost waits with this frightening demeanor to, 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 to knock us when we step out of line. That's not it. If you're hearing your follower of Christ, sometimes what you can begin to think is God just sits up in heaven and he doles out justice and, and pain as he sees fits. Almost like the, the, the broken view of the Greek god Zeus, who depending on his attitude and his demeanor of, I'm going to try one more time. Depending on his attitude and his demeanor of the day, maybe he'd throw lightning at you. And maybe he'd just squash you. Or maybe he'd support you. You never knew. And here's the reason I want you to see this. That is not a representation of the Christian God. That is not what God Almighty calls you to or calls me to. The place I want to look at this, <clears throat> I want to look at this in one verse. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Many of you may know it. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens with a phone, whatever you'd like. If you don't know where Proverbs is, you can kind of open your Bible right to the middle and flip to the right a little bit, and you'll get there. <laughs> to set this up, we're really going to look at a summary theme of a way I have fought to think about the fear of God in my life for years now, thankfully. The summary theme I think that I pray that this text really shows you as it shows me is fear. We'll talk about really what it means, but it's a summary theme of this. It is living in response to knowing God is God. I am not. The fear of the Lord, boiled down, if I were to summarize it with my language, and we'll break through why, it would be the fear of the Lord is living in response to knowing God is God. I am not. So what I want to do is I'm just going to ask three questions. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Why should we as followers of Christ want to fear the Lord? And the third thing, what happens when you and I, when we don't? But both followers of Christ and those who don't believe, what happens when we don't fear God as we should? As I shared again, we'll be in Proverbs chapter one. If you don't know about the book of Proverbs, it was written by the wisest man that ever lived. His name was King Solomon. He wrote it to give to his son. It's 31 chapters. He wrote it to give to his son on instructions of wisdom and the purpose of life and how you find it. Even chapter one, if we were to go back and almost teach all the way through those first six verses before, here's what you'd see. You'd see Solomon talking to his son and then giving him the benefits of, here's what it looks like to walk in wisdom. And Solomon, what he's doing, he's really building a case for the entire book and especially at least the first nine chapters. And he sets up right there in verse seven the way I describe it. For those of you, you either are still a student, you're writing papers, or you remember writing, his, writing papers, he almost gives this summary thesis statement right there in verse seven, where he tells you and he tells me, here's the theme, because the theme of the book, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. And he tells us 
how to get it. So if you got a Bible, read with me. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Short and sweet. Why are we talking about the fear of the Lord? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the first thing we really got to think through is what does it mean to have to hold the fear of the Lord. First thing as we think about this, there's a couple things to consider, right? There's a few things to consider. Fear, that word is used frequently, frequently throughout your Bible. There's no real direct English equivalent in terms of translation. If you were almost to add on a theme of fear and what it really means, the word I'd put before you, it's reverence. It's this understanding of awe, respect, and majesty at the power and the grace of God. It's the reality of God is God. I am not. To fear God means to revere him, to look in almost that theme where we say, your will be done, not mine. But because so many of us, and especially in American culture, and especially if you have a personality like mine, we have this anti-authoritarian mindset, this anti-view of who are you to say, and we add on to this broken lens of, okay, that means I'm supposed to be scared of an inconsistent, erratic God that at any time might step out of line in punishment of me. That is not what this text is teaching. This text is teaching, it's saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fearing him, it's revering. It's understanding that he is God and we are not. Martin Luther, many of you know who Martin Luther is, and if you don't, famous, famous theologian, one of the reformers of the Christian faith. He had a great way to break this down that as I've studied, it's really helped me. He had two ways to really discern and dissect the word fear. Servile fear, filial fear. Filial, it just comes from Latin for the Greek root there, family. Servile fear, it's the type of fear that a slave would have for a cruel Master. Servile fear is the type of fear that almost one who's been captured, one who's been imprisoned would have for the jailer, for the executioner, for the judge that demeaned it without right of any form of goodness in them, cruelty, malevolence with it. It's that type of fear that's associated with anxiety and nervousness and living in the reality of there's a sincere and present danger. That's not what this is talking about. It's filial fear, reverence. Right, the way you could break that down is, again, it's the understanding of the type of fear that a child has for a good father and a good mother. And here's what's key. Here's what's key. The key to rightly understanding fear is what motivates obedience. What primarily motivates obedience. The way a good child loves a parent 
Yes, there can be a following you in the reality of you're the parent, I am not. Your word is the final word. Yes, that's true. But faithfulness born over time, here's what you see. Out of admiration for the parent, out of love knowing that parent is good, that parent wants to do me well, and that parent has always been for me even when I do not know how to be for myself. The child obeys out of love. The child obeys out of seeking to honor, not fear of punishment. Perfect love, this is first, John. If we had more time, we'd teach on that. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. That's this broken view of the word fear, the right view of the word fear, is I revere you, God, as my heavenly Father. God is God, I am not. I am not in charge of what is right and wrong in my life. I'm not the ultimate determiner of truth and where I should find it. He is good. He has always been good to me when I was not good to him. He has always been kind to me when I was nothing but unkind. Fear is a right response living to that. God is God. I am not. I can remember I can remember there was a time, I don't know, I think I was 13 or 14. I was at a youth ministry meeting and a pastor got up there. Bless that guy, man. Bless him. And he went up and he taught on the fear of the Lord. Me at that time, I would have said I was a Christian. It wasn't until years later I realized I wasn't. But I can remember sitting there and he teaches this and I go and he gives this talk and at the end of it, I really have always had a bit of this sinful, broken, anti-authoritarian in me to where he teaches it in me and I go up to him right at the end. I can remember taking him off to the side and going up to him and with passion telling him how he is wrong and how no one should ever be scared of God. He was so gracious to me. He was so kind to me because here's the reality. I bet he taught it right and I misheard it. But in that moment, all I heard was fright, scared, terror. And I can remember him there with this like tenderness. And I don't remember exactly all the words, but this tenderness to him is he started talking about a lion, right? He started talking about a lion and he started talking a book that I'd never heard about. Anybody ever heard of the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, I hadn't. I had no idea. He's talking about a lion named Aslan. If you don't know the Chronicles of Narnia, the author C.S. Lewis, prolific Christian writer, he wrote a children's story all the way through demonstrating some of the truths, the difficult principles about God. Aslan is a character in it. He's the Christ figure, and he is a lion. I can remember the student pastors. I'm there. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm saying you should never be scared. Him using this lion is a picture to me. And I can remember there's this famous line from the book. This famous line from the book where there's this little girl, her name's Susan. She's talking to Mr. Beaver, if you've read it. And Susan goes up to Mr. Beaver because she's just about to have the chance to meet Aslan. And she goes up and she says, hey, I'm, I'm very nervous to meet Aslan. And then she goes up to Mr. Beaver and she says, is, is he quite safe. She asks, is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver responds, my dear, no, he's not safe. He's a lion. But he is good. He 
is king. A right understanding before God of fear, it's reverence. It's reverence. Took me years to figure that out. It's seeing him as, no, no, is there a part of God that, yes, is imposing, domineering, all-powerful, sovereign, and will he by no means allow the wicked to go unjudged ultimately? No. 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 He is good. He is king. The fear of the Lord is the reality of God is God. I am not. I'm not in charge. I'm not the determiner. I'm not the bastion of wisdom. I'm not the knowledge of truth. I am not impressive in any way apart from what he does in me. He is right. I lead to wrong. He is good and he wants to help in the same way a good father seeks to love and to serve a child. God is God. I am not. Takes us to our next question. Why then, with this, with this right understanding of fear and reverence of God, why then should you and I, why should we want more and more as we head into Christmas, why should all we want for Christmas be the fear of the Lord? You see the verse continue there, where it sets up the fear of the God is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning there, it means everything you think it means, the start. It's where, it's where knowledge begins in the Christian faith. It comes first out of a recognition of, I've sinned against a holy God and I'm in need of help. There's no one righteous. No, not one. You start from a position in the Christian faith of need. The only thing you need to be a Christian is need. You don't need to be a better version of yourself. You need need which drives you to faith by grace. In the beginning of knowledge, knowledge here, it's this, it was so fun learning this. Knowledge is this word that has this perspective. It is a right view of understanding myself in relationship to God. It's a theme of Proverbs. And there's a word that it's often companioned with. We'll see it right after this in the next refrain. Wisdom. Wisdom, the difference between knowledge and wisdom biblically, as we see in this text, is just the practical application of knowledge. It is how living in response to knowing God is God and I am not, how does that show up? How does that manifest itself in my life? You know what God wants for every follower of God from reverence, from fear, to grow in knowledge. There's this amazing list of what knowledge produces all throughout Proverbs. You could do an entire series on this. I'm gonna work through just some of the ones that I found, just some, quickly. So what I wanna do here is I'm gonna give you guys five different references in Proverbs. You can write them down, you can come back, listen to it later. What I want you to hear is here's why you and I should want this. Here's how the fear of the Lord is a gift. He wants us to fear him that it may go well with us. Because he, like a good father, he wants to give good things. Some of the different sections throughout the book of Proverbs that show up with the fear of the Lord. One of the blessings that it brings, it's a repentant heart. Proverbs 3, 7, the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What does evil do? It brings pain and brokenness into my life every single time. 
You know what I'm batting a thousand at? Sin leading to pain. Next one I found is it creates a hatred of sin, a hatred of sin. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. You know what I often find myself wanting more and more of in my life? Is I go to, with honesty, is I go to almost flirt with this line of sin. I am consistently asking God, God, would you give me a hatred of sin that I do not have? Would you give me a love for you that I want to grow in? But would you increasingly give me a hatred of sin? I can remember a pastor explained to me as he was talking to this group, in, in particular, it was young men, but this really applies any age, any gender, any demographic. And he was talking about sexual sin. And his main point was you have to learn to hate sexual sin. I do not hate that as much as I should. God has given me a freedom in life and a prevailing faith to where it does not mark me in the way that it once did. But here's what I want out of a fear of the Lord. I want more and more a hatred of what he died for and not a desire to flirt with the line. A third thing, a third way it blesses. Oh, man, we should take this to a psychology conference. If you're a psychologist, I'm so excited for this one. Check out Proverbs 14, verse 26. Divine confidence. The fear of the Lord gives you a divine confidence. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. I can remember talking with a friend of mine, and he really broke this down in a way that I'll never forget. He said, hey, when you, free God, when you fear God, when you revere him, when you worship him, when you respect him, when he is the, the one that you continuously try to elevate, it gives you freedom. When I fear God, it gives me freedom with how I steward my money. When I fear God, when I seek to worship him, it helps me grow to be a better parent to my daughter, a better husband to my wife. When I fear God, it makes me a more effective pastor, employee. When I fear God, it sets me free to come here and out of a love for him and not a desire to get this group of people to applause and like me and pat me on the back to come and faithfully share the truth of God. When I fear God, when I go into moments where I feel insecurity, I fight to have this thought come. If I'm feeling insecure, that means I feel like I'm lacking. If I feel like I'm lacking, that means I want to come into this environment, these individuals, this place, these things, and I want to use them to feel more. And as soon as I realize that, here's what's happening. That insecurity, it's driving me to use relationships, meetings, moments, to use people to feel better about myself. When you're using people, you know what you're not doing? You are not loving people. In Christ, in a reverence of him, in a fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Right there in the next verse, chapter 14, verse 27, refreshment would be the way I'd describe this. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. How many of us come in here today in the midst of a holiday season 
where on top of work and family and every regular responsibility, you have travel plans, you have presents, you have 40,000 things going. If you're a student, you have finals, you're thinking through year-end budgeting. What does it look like for next year? And many of us, one of the things we'd love is to have that sense of refreshment, knowing, hey, a reverence of God, what does that produce? A fountain of life. When he is the one I focus on, it brings blessing that it might go well with you, that it might go well with me. Here's the final one. This is one I've spent more time thinking about this. This was probably one of the most convicting things that I've thought on in months. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The word I want to put to this one is satisfaction. Satisfaction. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Life there, not just literally, but I do believe that's partially true, but also life abundant. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it is very satisfied. Y'all, life goes by in an instant. That is biblically true, but there's something else, the reality of life. Life is too long to not pursue satisfaction. Life is too long to not pursue satisfaction. And God wants satisfaction more and more for you and for me. Does that mean material blessing and wealth and health? No, none of that. But satisfaction in him. If God were more and more the one thing that I sought to honor, to love, and to worship, you know what I would have more of? Stability, security, contentment. Peace, satisfaction. I want that. And God wants that for me. We see here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, this theme where God's saying, hey, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And with that knowledge, this fear, what does he want that to create? He wants that to be peacefulness to me. Satisfaction, this repentance in my heart that leads me away from sin. A hatred of what I don't hate out of a love for him and not a fear of punishment. A strong confidence, not in me, not in any gifting I might have, not in any intellectual ability that you might think is yours over other people. It doesn't matter how much money you have, status you have, position you have, power you have. None of that is going to help you sleep better at night. You know what will? The fear of the Lord. Why does he want this for you? Why does he want this for me? That it might go well in the reality of God is God. I am not. I can remember thinking through this. Uh, even in my own life, I can remember there was a time where right, right around the moment where I became a Christian, my life before that, it really had been marked by a lot of pain and difficulty. Right? Did I, pain and difficulty is relative. Maybe your life was worse, but for me at that point, there was sincere hardship to it. I had a lot of self-inflicted wounds. I'd gone through life, I'd had an addiction to pornography, I'd had a terrible relationship with alcohol, inappropriate relationships with females. Socially, I had just finished undergrad and I'm graduating. I just moved to Dallas from Atlanta. And I can remember these group of folks inviting me to go dancing. Anybody here like two-stepping? Yeah, well I was from Atlanta, we didn't two-step, right? And I can remember they invited me to go to this dance thing. Cowboys Red River. 
I know exactly. Oh, yeah, some of y'all been there. I know exactly where that is in Dallas, right? And I can remember going. I got invited. It was by this group of Christians. I'm totally new. I'm working through my faith. I socially had coped through alcohol for years. I can remember one date party that I went to sober through college. Everything else, there was an honestly a, hey, I'll have more fun, and I won't care about what I do, and I'll be free from thought, and I may not even remember. I'll pick that. And that had marked my social life for much of the time. It was progressive, but it had progressed. And I can remember I was invited to this night dancing out. And I can remember before they came to pick me up, it was one guy who was going to drive me. I was in this little uh, shoebox apartment in Dallas. Just moved out there. I did not know anybody. Totally new, trying to figure out faith. And I sat there on the edge of this bed in this apartment. And I wept like, like, ugly cry wept because I sat there and here's why I was terrified I had no idea how I was going to talk to females sober I had no idea how I was going to push past the insecurity of going out on the stands for it not really knowing how to do any of this hanging out with people when there was these crippling problems in my life and I had this moment this moment where, where there was a lot going on but there was this moment where I could think through hey do I do what I want, which was in a way to take the edge? Just take the edge off. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with alcohol, but there was absolutely something wrong for alcohol with me then. What if I just take that edge? What if I give into my fear rather than by faith, seek to live in response to what I knew at that time was true? God is the most peaceful thing I've ever had. He's been the most grace I will ever know. There's been more comfort to me than anything else I'd ever tried, and I tried a lot of things. What if I trust him? I wouldn't have used this language then, because honestly, I was undiscipled. I wouldn't have known how to use it. But what I was really working through was, hey, will I fear God? Will I worship? Will I seek to strive to honor him out of a love for what he's done? Or will I seek to manage and create my own reality where I take this warped Christian view of, of what he says mixed with my truth. By the grace of God and his grace alone in my life and the power of the Holy Spirit, that night, that night, I didn't drink at all. I had a friend try to teach me how to two-step. I, I got to know this group of gals that became some of the closest friends in my life. I stepped on their toes all night long. I can remember going home at the end of the night, driving back and thinking to myself, sober, not fearing the hangover, not having to worry about, am I going to have to get out my phone and see the damage of the phone calls I'd made, the text message I'd spent, the money that I'd just wasted? Completely clear-minded. Zero, sh zero shame. Zero guilt. And with full sincerity, that was one of the most fun nights of my life. Why? God was showing me, hey, fear, fear of me. It's a reverence. It's a worship. I'm God. You are not. You can trust me. I want it to go well with you. I'm a good father. I want to bless you. Come. And that is something to this day, every area of my life. Do I always get it right? No. But do I now cling to the fear of God like a comforting, gracious blanket on a cold night? Yes. It is a gift and a grace.
But what happens when we don't think about it that way? What happens when we don't view it that way? I'm going to read the second part of that verse again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. As you think about this verse, there's kind of two tracks we got to break it out on the second part. There's, there's the biblical defin, definition of a fool. This word's used all throughout Proverbs. It, it carries this theme of there's an arrogance, there's a mental dullness, it's hard-headedness. Psalm 14, many of you have heard the phrase, the fool says there is no God. A fool in their heart, either in rejection of faith itself or even as a Christian in a functional rejection of faith leading me in my life. They say there is no God. They say, my way, not God's. That's what a fool says. What does a fool then do? A fool despises wisdom and instruction. What's wisdom? It's practical application of everything we've been talking about. It's responding to a right fear of the Lord. Foolishness in my life happens any time where my heart does not say, your will be done. Foolishness in my life happens when I say, my will be done. And in doing so, I would never say this in the moment. Why? Because I'm not supposed to. But there's a despising of wisdom and instruction. Is there a grace to me? Still, absolutely. His grace goes deeper than every bit of sin I can ever have. But what there is, is a despising. That can be true of us through those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are Christians, we can still be foolish. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinion. You ever wanted to make sure you had the last word? You ever wanted to make sure that you were right? You ever wanted to make sure that they fully understood everything they needed to know because they were wrong? I have. It's foolishness in me. And then there is more of an ultimate sense of the word fool. And that's not like an American context where God's coming to you and he's saying you are a fool, but there's a foolishness to the rejection of God. That time where I was a student, that, that pastor was teaching me, and he came and he came to talk to me about the, the tenderness of God using the illustration of a lion. You know, really where the fear of the Lord needed to begin for me in that moment and I don't doubt, my language was confusing to him. So complete ownership and responsibility on me for missing it in that conversation. But really where fear of the Lord needed to begin was, John, you don't ultimately fear God. You keep trying to be a better version of your own God. You just think in your mind, if I could stop doing this, if I could stop doing this, if I could do more of that, then finally... You'd get what God wants. No, 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 no. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. That is unbiblical. That is not fearing God. That's following your own way. A reverence of God would start with, no, no, you cannot make yourself better. You cannot come to God apart from Christ. And he's, he's not asking you to clean up your own small childhood, middle school, maybe high school life. He's just coming and saying, believe. But individuals who ultimately choose to reject the love of God, that is foolish. That is foolish. And it will result 
in an eternity apart from him. But that's why you got to remember, what is Solomon doing even to start this book out? He's writing instruction to his son. Why? He wants his son. He wants it to go well with him. Fear is not meant to be something in your life where you think of God as this one, if you step out of line, he'll just come smite you. It's meant to drive you to a position of he's a good father and he loves me. He wants to give me good things. He wants it to go well with me. There's so many illustrations in society now where we choose not to do this. We choose not to follow after what God says and go our own way. So many. I want to touch on one of these, but at the end church, we're going to end up talking about us. First one, many of you have seen a continuing transition, right? A continuing transgression of, of many things throughout culture. One of those being a progressive position on the transgender movement. Transgender movement. One of the articles that I came across, and if you're here and if you wrestle with transgenderism or you have, we're so glad you're here. What I don't want you to hear is guilt and shame, man. Come hang out with us. There are real issues people need to talk through. But here's what I'm telling you. There's a foolish direction that we are going, and it will not go well. University of Minnesota, I came across an article that they're putting into, across the school, it's right now in its second revision. It wasn't struck down, it's being revised. It's second revision. The reason it's being revised is they want to make sure people rightly understand what the consequences could be. If people do not use specific pronouns, or if there is, the term is misgendering. It's to where if I come up and I were to engage in someone who has the physical, biological appearance of a male, yet they internally self-identify as female, and I were to use a pronoun, he. That is a form of verbal harassment. That's what they're putting forward. Really, much of this legislation they've taken from Canada, where right now there's discriminatory laws put in place for misgender pronouns. Here's what should be offensive. Not being gracious to anyone. Not being kind to everyone. If we're followers of Christ and transgender people and individuals who wrestle with that and are so fearful to tell, which countless studies show less than 1%, and even those who would identify out of that 1% is true physical intersex, the vast majority of those intersex have a significant showing of a biological gender leaning one way. If we continue to go in a way that does not honor God in that, it will create more and more hurt and confusion. I came across an article too, because it tagged it right towards the bottom of the article. There's a 12-year-old boy who was 12 years old two years ago. He came to his mom recently because 12 years ago, right then, that was when he became and he said, hey, even though I'm biologically a boy, I identify as a girl. He started taking estrogen hormones, began to physically change, started to identify as a she, went by female pronouns. Teachers embraced it. Two years later, he came, and he said, Mom, I got to go back. I've come to realize, in his language there, I've come to realize that, honestly, I've just grown more comfortable in who I am. I've just grown more comfortable in who I am. I'm a boy. So, obviously, he stopped taking the hormones, and he will now have to have a surgery to move additional breast tissue that's come to his body. Here's the reason I share all of this. 
It is not wisdom, knowledge, or the fear of the Lord to allow a 12-year-old who should still have monitored access to the internet to make their own sexual identity lifelong decisions. Johns Hopkins University, as you go to look at this, the, the university itself, they were the ones who pioneered gender reassignment surgery. The head of the psychology department drove it, and really, he finally stopped it entirely. And he stopped it entirely because he came to say, this is a psychological issue, not a biological one. Now, there's people, and many people in this of you, if that statement to you is offensive, here's what I want you to hear. I'd love to go have coffee. I would love to have lunch. Because long before we ever talk about gender, what I want to talk to you about is the goodness of God. And how as I call others as we come in fear of God in acknowledgement of wisdom and truth. Here's what's not the problem with America, church. Here's what's not the issue. Here's what's not degrading culture. Any form of a transgender movement, same-sex movement, pick whatever movement you want. That's not the problem. The problem is churches gathered like this, pastors in positions like mine, we have not taken seriously the fear of the Lord. We have not taken seriously the call of he loves me. And in response to that love, he wants it to go well with me. And living in response to that brings life to an outside world. They not only see wisdom and insight and counsel, they want to come and see what it's like, but they see satisfaction. They see divine confidence instilled. They see a beauty and a majesty. That, that is what's hurting us. Church. When it comes to thinking through what can go wrong when we don't fear the Lord. Many of us, many of us, many of us have this tendency, and it's the only reason I'm talking about such a sensitive topic. We have this tendency to all of a sudden start looking over the fence to say, oh yeah, that's right, that's for them. Oh yeah, that's right, look at those folks. That's the problem, there's the issue. it's all because of them. It's the parenting style, it's the environment, it's the prolific defenses that, that everything's gone against, and we look over the fence at everybody else. Church, God wants that here. Why would they fear someone they don't know? Why would they revere worship, follow behind, seek to honor one whose grace they've never experienced? What if you, what if I, we took seriously the fear of the Lord? Well, we didn't become these ones who waved this banner of truth and put people down, but we sought to have honest and sincere conversations to where the local church, we begin to dismantle the reputation of if you actually have problems, you better not go tell them. I think that is the beginning of knowledge in my life as an individual. I think that is part of rightly living in response to knowing the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord, guys? What is it? It's it's a reverence before God. The way I think about it, it's knowing God is God and I am not. The language I got that from, it was from a friend where he spent his college years walking from a bus stop to his campus, he had to do it three years every day, and he committed himself the entire time he walked there, and at the end of the day, he would walk back. He rehearsed 
in his mind. God is God. I am not. God is God. I am not. That changed his dating decisions. That changed his stewardship decisions. That changed his personal intimacy decisions. It changed everything about him. Why? Because it's fighting the tendency we, we all have to I, I'm king rather than he is good. He is king. I once had this scared view of terror and fright when it came to the fear of the Lord. Now, worshiping the one who has loved me forever is a gracious blanket on a cold night. It's light and darkness. My mom called me this week. I was talking with her Friday afternoon. I'd actually, I was working on putting together some of the thoughts and there was a conversation. Hey, what are you teaching on? And I said, the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. And my mom immediately, and my mom's awesome. Right, she shifts into this tone and she just says, hey, John, do you remember that car ride? And I was like, no idea, no idea. My mom, she started backtracking me. There was a car ride where I was in college. I'd come home from school, right? It was over a break. I, I forget which one. We'd gone out to lunch. There's this Cuban restaurant. If you're in Woodstock, Georgia, it's called Poppy's. Highly recommend it. There's this Cuban restaurant there that my family went to. I can still tell you today the table that we are sitting at. I'm sitting there with my mom and my dad. I don't remember the entirety of the conversation, but here's where I know it went to. You see, I'd been wrestling through faith at the time. I'd been spending time reading my Bible, and I was reading it wrong. And I came to this passage where it seemed like the fear of the God and judgment so coincided where it looked like he just couldn't wait to smite those who step out of the line. And I can remember sitting at this table as my parents talked about God is love and growing in an anger, in a hatred of that God and trying to plead with them over, no, 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 here's what he's like. He's frightening, he's mean, he's cruel. Even when you're trying harder to be a better version of yourself, you're still his perpetual disappointment. It's not grace, it's all law. And I can remember getting so angry sitting at this table with this meal that I literally started to grab the table and shake. So I had to stand up and I had to walk out. We ended up getting in the car, driving back into town, and I'm sure things started calming down at my mom. She said, yeah, John. I didn't know exactly what to say, but I just kept trying to say, God is love. God is good. And my mom said something to me. She said, and John, as we drove, I knew you weren't hearing a single thing I said. I knew you weren't hearing a single thing I said. And you heard this brokenness in my mom. Why? Because she loves her boy in the same way God loves me. She doesn't want that for me. Church, that was then. I had a misunderstanding of what it means to fear God, to follow him, to out of reverence say, God is God, I am not. He is good, he is king. You lead, I submit, I surrender. There's blessing. And I carried that hatred for I think the next three years. The language I used to describe God, I thought he was a tyrant. Fear of God means nothing to do with being a tyrant. 
It means coming to a good father and saying, you are God, I am not. You're good and you're kind. Your ways are true and right. Would you help me to follow you, church? All we should want for Christmas, all I should want for Christmas is to grow in the fear of the Lord. You are God. I'm not. You want to help me look more like you. Thank you. Let me pray that we would do that. Father, I thank you that by your grace and your grace alone, right, where you can go and you can take a guy who stands up, shakes a table in anger, shakes his fist at you, and yet you still love him. You love me. I thank you that I've come to see grace. I thank you that I've come to see changed life, changed faith. And from that, I fear you. Would you help me to fear you more? I pray that if there are folks and they sit here and they think fear means scared or terror or frightened or almost this view of this parent who's gonna backhand you at any moment when you just step out of line versus a parent that's seeking to love, would you sovereignly change that in their mind? Would your spirit pluck that idea out and instead impose a true view of you are a good God, but you are God. Your way is true, not mine. Your way is right, not ours. Would you help us to live that way? Would you help us to follow after you? It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, y'all, thank you guys for coming and joining us. We pray, hey, go. Have a great week of worship, and we'll see you next Sunday.